Welcome to TG2Cast. I'm Arthur Caravelli, co-founder of Teachers Going Greatless. In this episode, I interview Mariana Morales Lobo, who taught high school in Madrid in Barcelona for 15 years and who now works as a consultant in education, training teachers and helping school leaders implement innovation. She has also been a member of Engineers Without Borders and plays an active role in the Parents Association at her children's school in Santo Domingo. One of her main areas of interest is reinventing playground spaces, considering the ways these supposedly neutral spaces can be made more equitable. Her writing can be found on the international platform of Practica Reflexiva, or Reflective Practice. I'm honored that she has taken it upon herself to translate a few of my pieces for the site. Mariana Morales Lobo, welcome to TG2 Cast. How is uh, Spain this time of year? Spain this time of year is um, on holidays. <laughs> it's very, it's very cold, and uh, and the sun is shining. That is the resuming of the <laughs> situation. <laughs> yes. Any snow or? In some parts of Spain, yes. In, okay. in the north, in the mountains. Hmm. Oh, well, no, I've not in Madrid uh, for the moment, but we have to wait. Yes, and so you're in Madrid right now. Yes, right now I'm in Madrid. Mm -hmm. Okay, beautiful. I've I've seen so many wonderful pictures there, and I I hope we can maybe set up a conference together someday in uh, Madrid or oh. Barcelona. Oh, Barcelona would, would be wonderful. Be... <laughs> yes. Mm. Well, so first of all, I, I guess I'd just like to know how you came across um, going gradeless and, and uh, that idea in education. Mm. Well, that was that was really um, sheer luck. Uh, I I was looking for a um, for a place to blog, and a friend of mine recommended me Medium, right? Which in Spanish it has a it, it has a horrible translation because it means something like um, guessing the future, right? And and, mm -hmm. con and contacting with the with the dead and all that. <laughs> it's, a, it's an awful name in Spanish. And uh, well, I, I I got into this medium site and uh, first thing I found was your article uh, about going gradeless. I found that was fascinated fascinating and I I rapidly got into the Facebook group and uh, uh, got to read all your all your posts and and all trying to understand what is what is behind this um, idea of going gradeless or gradingless? Well, yes, and and uh, when you published our article in Spanish, um, it, we we saw a lot of people um, with Spanish names, at least. Um, I I imagine since your platform reaches all over the world um, from various places, and uh, that was really really great to see. And so it seems like there's some interest in this idea. I guess, can you tell us a little bit about the landscape of grading and maybe testing in Spain? I guess you could even open that up to the Spanish-speaking world since your platform reaches internationally. What is the situation with grades and tests among the teachers, the school leaders, the schools you deal with? 
And do you see going grade list is helping matters at mm. all for them? Well, um, well, first first of all, our platform is um, mostly for researchers uh, around uh, South America and, and Spain, of course. No? Uh, so that is the profile of, of the readers of our of our blog, huh? and, um, and then um, the landscape uh, in Spain uh, about about grading is 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 a very sad landscape because um, we are grading more and more every year. To give you an example, uh, when I was a child, now now I am forty two, but when I was a child uh, at school, I didn't get graded. Uh, um, till I was sort of 11 or 12 years old, right? Um, mm-hmm. But now we have uh, this obsession with uh, with grading uh, from six, seven years old, which gives you, gives you very um, absurd situations. Huh? In Spain, you get graded from zero to ten. Well, zero is zero, mm-hmm. is, zero is forbidden, but you can always give a one, and a pass is a five. And uh, well, I remember my my son when he was um, seven years old. He came home and he said, "Mommy, uh, I I had a test in I don't remember what it was." And I said, "Oh, really?" And he said, "But I don't understand what the teacher wrote on the on the paper." So I, I read I read what it was written, and it was eight dot seventy five out of ten. Uh, which sounds uh, absurd for a child who didn't even know how decimals worked. Um, um, oh so I told him, well, that's fine. Uh, you've learned a lot of whatever it was and go and go out there and play. And that was the end of the story. But mm-hmm. I find, I find I, this is an anecdote to, to see that uh, we're, we're doing very absurd things with, uh, with this story of, of raiding. There are some places, not everywhere, but for instance in Madrid, they they do rankings of of schools, so they they publish them on the internet, you can see them if you want. That makes it uh, very competitive uh, since very, very early ages. Yes, Uh, we have a little of that ranking going on where you can see, uh, you know, those test scores constantly and, and oftentimes we can even see down to the level of, of uh, individual schools and, and it's there's some talk of it going down to individual teachers as well. Yes, yes, yes. Um, my parents, when they were at school, explained when the teacher had corrected the exams, so he, he or she used to, to put the children in a row in order of, um, of the grade, right? Mm. This is a dreadful uh, thing to do with, with children, and they, they've stopped doing it, uh, but now this is what they are doing with schools. So in st- it's the same logic. instead of doing this in an actual classroom, which is, which is definitely a dehumanizing experience, they're doing this online, which is no better, really. Yes, they are not doing it with the, with the individuals, but they are doing it with the schools. Oh. Mm. So what is what effect does this have on schools? What are some of the issues that come out of this kind of ranking process? And, and what effect does that have on the actual education of children? 
Well, from my point of view, teachers emphasize on passing the test and preparing children for the test. So anything that is not going to be asked in the test is less important. And sometimes, uh, because the tests sometimes are very, very badly done, they, they emphasize on things like grammar, but they don't emphasize on things like speaking or writing more of, more than 10 or 12 lines, uh, mm -hmm. um, things like that. So, things that aren't easy to measure, in other words, exactly, uh, get left behind. Exactly, yes. exactly. Producing music, um, drama, uh, that kind of thing, is it becomes less important because it is not in the test. And then there is a, a training for the test. Huh? There's a lot of time spent on, on training on the test, which, um, which is not uh, used for some other interesting things that children could do. Right. So as you've, as you've talked about these ideas and, and you've translated, you know, the, the one article, uh, teachers going grade lists, and, and I think you've had a chance to have conversations about this. What has the reception been? Well, I think there is a very extended prejudice which says that uh, grading is objective and it's neutral. And it, there is little to do for the moment against this prejudice uh, because people uh, don't read research uh, about the subject. If, if people did actually uh, do this uh, reading of, of the research, I suppose many things would, would change, but we still haven't done this this step. I, I like to think of going greatness as um, as the non-smoking um, campaigns. We, we, we knew from from the from the fifties uh, since the fifties that smoking was very bad for health, but nobody wanted to hear it. And there were right. many, there were many interests in behind uh, um, tobacco. Huh? Uh, as, yes. there are, as there are many interests uh, behind the idea of grades and external testing, I have the, the hope <laughs> that we will react against this uh, sort of absurd uh, obsession of grading. But we need, we need some time. I think we've talked a little bit about uh, the difference here, um, and, and these conversations have come up, I think, in your, in your conversations with teachers and administrators about personalization, which is, is very popular, I think, both in the United States and, and around the world. Is, but the difference between that idea, personalization, which, which can be good, I suppose, and it depends on how you define it, and humanization of education, I guess you can kind of talk about what are your thoughts on that topic? And, and if it relates to grades, that's fine. But um, how do we need to be thinking about innovation in schools? Personalization is a is is a tough word because you can think of personalization in a in a in a beautiful way. Uh, think that the person is in the center of the of the of the process, and uh, that is wonderful. But you can also think of personalization in in the in another in another way, as uh, getting data from children uh, from computers and and giving them what their computer and the algorithm thinks what things that he or she uh, needs, which is going to make right. uh, education even more beha behavioralist. Right. Mm -hmm. 
it's it's funny how that happens how something that is supposed to put the student at the center actually imposes kind of a pathway on them on the basis of maybe on the basis of choices that they make but oftentimes they end up going down a very standardized and behaviorist pathway mm, yes and what we need is is to humanize education education must be about relationships must be about uh, um, getting good relationships between people and uh, making people think by themselves and uh, um, awakening curiosity which is uh, what I, I would like a school to be where children can learn about caring and um, can learn about growing in a mature way and uh, in an autonomous way but also looking at the people that they have around and trying to make a, a better world and machines can help but they must also but they must always be a complement to what people are doing and what to what people are feeling yes yes it's it's funny making that connection between um obviously the pisa exams and and those kinds of online rankings are Uh, one of the ways that machines get involved in learning, oftentimes with the personalization approach, we've also used machines and to really just kind of interrupt that relationship that can occur between the student and the teacher and student with their peers. It's it's been a very um, undesirable development in, in what could be good, but I agree with you. The word humanizing, I think humanization uh, is, is a much better approach to some of the questions of how do we make this, um, how do we center the student better? Mm. Certainly not by putting them in front of a machine or, or just exposing them to the way a machine looks at the, the whole question of education because a machine is very limited in that regard. Can you tell us a little bit about your work with playgrounds? I think this is one of the areas, one of the spaces where you see as being a very important aspect of school. And I guess I'd like you to talk about what are the opportunities there for humanizing, creating a, a, a humane space and uh, mm. how that can be an opportunity uh, in, a, in a child's education. Most children, I would say about 90%, more or less, eh, of children stay at school for dinner time. So that makes, in Spain, one hour and a half or even two hours of, uh, of research uh, daily. Right. So this time is spent in the playground, which, which if, if you count uh, the whole of, of all these hours, is they spend more time in the playground than in, in any other subject at school. But in this space, uh, when there has been an intervention, intervention, it has been for making it worse. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. is uh, eliminating uh, nature, uh, trees, bushes, making the soccer um, playground bigger, and, and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, right. so the playground um, is dominated by by the all the children and mostly mm -hmm. the boys who play soccer, hmm? and uh, the rest right. of the children just stay around the the ground and uh, will do some sort of invisible play. Uh, <laughs> 
or an important or mm-hmm. something that really a residual play. Uh, mm-hmm. So this arises many questions about what we are doing uh, this time because this is their spare time and the playground in the school is a sort of uh, public space because children mm-hmm. don't play in the streets anymore so they the place where they can where they can play is the playground the school playground so what is what is happening there if we have yes. this segregation by gender and by age and by uh, that is that is a very important question huh? so we, we should we should do something here because this is not what we are saying that we are doing at schools huh? we are saying that we are giving them mm-hmm. opportunities we are saying officially that schools are for equity right. and to give opportunities and all that uh, and we are not doing this for two hours every day from Monday to Friday right and it seems like it should be a space where where students can um, you know learn certain democratic values uh, can learn community values some some uh, respect for one another and oneself you know I think one of the things that I found very interesting in your in your work on that because I had never thought about playground which is to me seems like should just be kind of an open space what could be more equitable than that uh, and connecting it back to some of the ideas around going gradeless I think we have similar ideas that this is, should just be open this is uh, imminently democratic space that we are creating are there um, are there people who are going to be disenfranchised by this are there people who are going to be left out by this I guess what are what are the steps that uh, we can take to ensure that playgrounds are truly equitable spaces I don't need you to necessarily make that connection with going gradeless but I mm-hmm. think that many of those um, ideas can probably be applied to our thinking about mm. quote unquote neutral spaces yes the, the, the relationship is there between between gradeless and, and an empty space in the, in the in the playground when I when I talk uh, with um, with school leaders about innovation I usually tell them that innovation is is about solving problems uh, and that that is an important point because it's not a it's not a fashion no? it's something that must help right. you. it's something that must help you when you introduce an innovation in a school uh, mm-hmm. well you probably have to take out something that doesn't work it's like uh, when, sure. you, when you buy yourself a new sweater uh, well mm-hmm. then you have to get rid of an old one because it doesn't fit you anymore <laughs> you have to you have to think about uh, why it doesn't fit you is it a, is it a fashion is it that you are I don't know cutter or <laughs> so what, what's what's wrong with that with that old sweater okay um, sure. uh, um, so, so in the playground uh, it's the same thing what's wrong with the playground Let's think about mm-hmm. let's think about this first. Is it about equity? Is it about uh, a lack of nature? Is it about a uh, lack of uh, opportunities for all children? Is it about uh, absence or, or, or excess of rules? Is it about uh, mm-hmm. um, the the adults' view on on risk? And, and what is risky and what is not risky and the fears that the adult has so what, what is what is the right. what is the problem there and we, we, we would we would have to open all these um, open up all these questions and try to answer them with the children 
as the children, all the children, the girls, the boys, the small ones, the big ones, <laughs> and trying, I try to find the good, the good, the good answers for for these questions. And after that, uh, you can try to redesign times, places, uh, and all that you can do in a playground, which comes of, uh, from introducing nature, uh, varying uh, the sports in the playground, um, letting places for children who might at some time be alone, might want to be alone at some time, which the right. uh, children who might like to have a quiet game or have a quiet play, mm -hmm. And uh, you have to give opportunities to all those uh, to all those moments that children have. That's that's very good, and I'm, I'm hearing some things in that that are just generally good about opening up dialogue, uh, seeking out those voices that are not often heard, that are probably marginalized in the playground yeah. right now. The the thought of of children needing a place to be quiet actually kind of resonates a little bit with me with going gradeless yes. because there's a lot of a lot of us are having students try to make a case for their grade and that mm -hmm. involves talking that involves expressing yes. oneself and being confident and I almost wonder if there needs to be a place or at least a recognition that there are quiet students there are students that um, we need to maybe listen to them and, and, and find out how can this be empowering for them? And if it's not, what else do we need to do? Yes, I totally agree. Uh, and I, I would say even more that this, it's not a question of quiet students or, or lonely students. It's, it's a question that sometimes in life you want to be alone. Sometimes yes. you you want you need quiet, and sometimes you don't, and it's the same person who who is um, passing throughout all these uh, moments, and we ha we have to think that to think about children without prejudices because childhood is it's not this um, Disney idea of um, all very happy and all that. Uh, right. Childhood can be very sad. Uh, you can, mm -hmm. you may have very good moments, and you may have bad moments, and uh, uh, you are experimenting all this this new life and that you have in, in inside. And, um, and classifying children is not a good idea. Right, and and I see, uh, you know, just a, a more humanized space being able to account mm -hmm. for those changes that students go through. That's some very helpful um, observations just for reform in general. That a lot of what we were talking about before, with this very computerized or behaviorist approach to personalization, uh, is not necessarily going to account for that. That's something that only human beings can do. That can only happen in dialogue with one another. Yes. Mariana, it's been a pleasure talking with you today. Can you tell us something maybe about what you're up to, where our listeners can find you and, and some of the things we might expect from you in the future? Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, you can find us in uh, in a Facebook group called Reinventando Patios, which is um, reinventing playgrounds. Mm -hmm. um, right now, uh, trying to um, make an association of playgrounds in Spain mm -hmm. uh, with different uh, professionals uh, who are working around uh, this idea of reforming playgrounds. Uh, that is. Uh, 
teachers and people in, in the pedagogical area, but also architects, uh, landscapers, anthropologists, gardeners, oh, wow. uh, artists, parents, uh, parents associations as well, which are very active in this sense. And uh, we're trying to sort this out, and I hope we can give birth to this association of playgrounds in Spain in the next in the next year. That is our New Year resolution. Huh? Wonderful. Well, thank you again, and all the best to you in the new year. You're welcome. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. That concludes today's episode of TG2Cast. If you'd like more information, check out our website at TeachersGoingGradeless.com, our Facebook group, Teachers Going Gradeless, or you can follow us on Twitter at TG2Chat. Please subscribe to the podcast to catch future installments of TG2Cast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.